grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. What are we to make of outsiders? This is the question that, in effect, is raised by the disciples as they come to the Lord with a problem. Now, just to set the stage for this a little bit, uh, not long before the uh, events recorded in today's short gospel reading, the disciples were encountering a man who had, uh, was possessed by a demon, and they were unable to cast that demon out. They tried and they tried, and finally they just couldn't do it. And Jesus comes along, and he gently corrects and admonishes the disciples, look, guys, don't you know this kind can only come out through prayer and fasting? And so the disciples already have their tail between their legs a little bit, if I can put it that way, thinking like, oh, why couldn't we do this? We really messed this up. A little while longer, they see that there's another demon-possessed person, and lo and behold, there is a rogue exorcist. Apparently, this was a thing back then, okay? This guy who was not following along with them, who was not part of the, the apostolic band, if you will, and yet he was successful in casting out a demon, and he does it in the name of Jesus. Well, the disciples aren't crazy about that. Well, wait a second. What is this outsider doing out there peddling the name of Jesus, using his power in order to cast out demons? And by the way, why was he able to do it and we weren't? And so they come to Jesus and they say, Lord, we've got a real problem here. We've got a real problem. There, is, there are guys out there who are using your name in order to cast out demons. We need to stop them, don't we, Jesus? That's right. In other places, we hear the disciples saying to Jesus, do you want us to cast down fire on them? Right? They're, just, they're ready to go. Okay. And maybe they're anticipating a certain answer from Jesus. As they come to him and they say, yeah, there's people who, who are not following us, who are out there using your name. They're expecting Jesus to say, okay, we need to go. We need to stop them right now. That's not right. But that's not what Jesus says at all. Jesus says simply, don't stop them. Say what? Don't stop them. Lord, this is, you know, this is weakening the brand out here, okay? We, we need to keep tight quarters here. We need to, to circle the wagons and make sure that it's only those who are following us, <clears throat> following you, Jesus, those who are following you who are able to wield that. You notice that little slip-up that they say there. They were not following us. Oh. But Jesus says, no, don't stop them. Why not? Well, the Lord gives three reasons here. And as we unpack these three reasons, I think we're going to develop a fuller sense of how we, as the church, as the body of Christ, ought to regard those who are currently outside of the community of faith. And those three reasons, if I can summarize them simply, I would say is this, are this. Gravity, sympathy, and hospitality. Gravity, sympathy, and hospitality. If you've got your worship folder, go ahead and uh, keep that reading in front of you. I'm just going to walk through this short reading as Jesus lays out these three reasons why he tells the disciples, no, don't stop the rogue exorcist. The first reason is gravity. Jesus says uh, in verse 39, do not stop him for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. No one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. You might think of it like this, what Jesus is saying here, is that Jesus, as the Son of God, 
If somebody else gets into his orbit as the sun by invoking his name, by trying to use his power or his word, the gravity of Christ's name and of his word is going to pull them in. Jesus is saying, you don't need to worry about this, guys, because my power, my name is stronger than you are giving me credit for. In other words, they're giving short shrift to Jesus, to the power of his name, to the power of his word. Paul says something similar in uh, Philippians chapter 1. Paul says, he says, some preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. He says, the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. It's very similar to what they're talking about here. Wait a second, Paul says, there's some guys who are not genuinely preaching Christ, but they have some kind of mixed motives. What all they are, we're not totally clear on. But then what does Paul say? What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. See, there is a gravity to the Son of God's power, and you and I can trust it. We give short shrift to the power of Jesus' word and of his name when we feel like we need to be the Lord's PR team. <laughs> when we've got to get out there and say, well, wait a second, there's a lot of folks out there who are not doing the Jesus thing the right way, whether that be televangelists or street preachers or you know, people on social media, and we feel like we need to take it on ourselves in order to correct all of them. Because we're Lutherans, of course, and we need to let them know that we've got it right, right? We give short shrift to the power of Jesus' name and word when we feel like we need to be the Lord's PR team. And that's not to say that folks can't have misguided beliefs about the Lord, that we ourselves can't have misguided beliefs, and that they don't need to be corrected. But it's a call for patient confidence and trust, knowing the Lord has got this. It's in his hands. And see, that's another way that we give short shrift to his power when we don't put those things in his hands. I find this happening to myself so often, and maybe you do too, where I will wring my hands, I will get frustrated, I will encounter some problem, and I'll think about how I can solve it. You know, I'll jot it out, I'll, di I'll diagram it, the whole thing. And then at the end of all of that, I'll, I'll think, maybe I should pray. <laughs> we do short shrift to the gravity of the Son of God, the power of his name and word, when we don't first leave these things into his hands. And let him handle it, because he alone is finally able to. So this is the first reason that Jesus says, don't stop those rogue exorcists, those outsiders, because of the gravity, the power of his name. The second answer is in verse 40 there. He says, for the one who is not against us is for us. For the one who is not against us is for us. Now, if you read that, you hear that, and you have to do a double take, like, wait a second, doesn't Jesus say something similar but also very different? Yeah, he does. Elsewhere in the Gospels, he also says, for the one who is not with me is against me. Here, it's almost the exact opposite. For the one who is not against us is with us. So which is it, Jesus? Is it the one who is not with you is against you, or is it the one who is not against you is, is with you? How would it make sense of this? I mean, are we all living, or can anybody live in this kind of, you know, discipleship Switzerland, right? This neutral ground? Where is everybody fitting in here? If it sounds like it's contradictory, I get it, but I want to show you why it's not. 
Because Jesus, with those two statements, is actually answering two different questions. So where he says elsewhere, the one who is not with me is against me, that's a vertical question, a salvation question, if you will. There's no gray area when it comes to salvation. Either you trust in Christ and so are saved, or you don't. There's no limbo, there's no kind of, uh, of purgatory where folks are just kind of floating around in the middle. When it comes to that relationship with Christ, either you trust in him or you don't. You're with him or you're against him. But if the question is the more horizontal one, if I can put it that way, in terms of somebody's relationship to the community of faith, to the church, to us as disciples, then Jesus is perfectly willing to allow those who are the sympathetic fellow travelers to continue to do so. Are they against us? Are they expressly fighting against our message and our movement? No? Well, then they're as good as with us. Allow them to continue making their way alongside of us. There are going to be people who are not yet ready to be fully invested in the community of faith, who aren't quite prepared to darken the doors on Sunday morning, and yet can't help but find themselves drawn in some mystical way to the message of the gospel or to you as believers who are carrying the presence and the power of Christ. Jesus says, you don't need to correct them. You don't need to cast them out. You don't need to, to draw the line in the sand and say, is you in or is you ain't, right? If they are sympathetic, allow them to keep coming along. Let me give you a contemporary example of what this can look like in practice. A guy whose name I've mentioned in, in past sermons, a guy by the name of Jordan Peterson. And Jordan Peterson is this big figure in the contemporary cultural scene. He's kind of a self-help guy, pop psychologist. He has a huge following on social media, especially on YouTube. He went uh, a couple of years ago on a, a speaking tour, and to, he spoke to packed arenas, thousands of people, especially young people, young men in particular, a demographic that the church is really having a hard time reaching. And in his speaking, in his teaching, Jordan Peterson would often use the Bible. He would uh, talk about Jesus and how Jesus was really one of a kind. But he would also talk about how he himself was not a man of faith. He was sympathetic to the message of the Bible, but he himself didn't believe. And there were a lot of Christians up in arms as he was growing in popularity and saying, wait a second, we shouldn't be listening to this guy. We shouldn't uh, be encouraging his popularity because he's not speaking right, right. He's not using the name of Jesus right or whatever it might be. But notice that through his witness, I mean, there are testimonials to this effect on the, on the internet. You can read these things of people who have come to Orthodox Christian faith because they had, so to speak, a gateway drug through the teaching of Jordan Peterson. Like, whoa, what do you know? It's almost as though God is in charge of everything, right? He is able to, to use this righteous pagan in order to draw people to himself. But there's more. This sympathetic fellow traveler, Jordan Peterson, in just the last few months, has started to profess his own Christian faith. Then now, even in spite of himself, he finds himself believing in the resurrection of the dead. He's like, oh, what do you know? Jesus has that gravity. And so we should allow those sympathetic fellow travelers to continue to walk alongside. Maybe they're not ready yet to take that next step. Not your problem, right? Not your responsibility to force them into the kingdom of God. The one who is not against us is with us. Jesus gives one more reason in verse 41. 
For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. And this is the reason of hospitality, but not Christians' hospitality toward outsiders, but just the opposite, the hospitality that outsiders give to believers. Well, how does that work? Benjamin Franklin, great founder of our nation, Benjamin Franklin once had this political rival, this guy that he just couldn't break through. And he wanted to develop a relationship, a friendship with this fellow. And he was trying to find different ways to do it. He would do favors. He would help him out. And none of this was working with this guy. So finally, Ben Franklin gets this idea. The guy had this rare book that Ben wanted to see. And how much he really wanted to borrow it is not clear. But he looked at this as an opportunity. And he came to the guy and he said to him, hey, I know you've got this really valuable, expensive, rare book. Um, would it be possible for me to look at it, to spend some time with it? I know it's a, it's a big favor to ask, but would you do that for me? And the guy obliged him. He agreed to it. Let Ben Franklin borrow his book. Did that favor for him. And with that first little crack in the door, a friendship was able to blossom. Ben Franklin knew, and he was shrewd this way, he just kind of intuited that if, if this guy does something for me, that's going to help to open up the doors of friendship. He already anticipated what modern psychologists call the IKEA effect. The IKEA effect. Any of you have IKEA furniture in your house? You like it more than you should, more than what the quality really uh, warrants, okay? They call this the IKEA effect. Because when you get something from Ikea, you always have to build it yourself, right? And so you spend two, three hours looking at these funny little images, and you put together this you know, piece of furniture that nobody can pronounce, right? And you love this piece of furniture. You are committed to this piece of furniture. You move it with you when, you when you move houses, even though it's breaking and falling apart. Why is that? The researchers say it's because you have put that investment into it. And so you feel more fondly toward that piece of furniture even if it's not the most uh, quality thing in the world, right? Even if it wasn't made in Grand Rapids, still, you guys didn't laugh at that, okay. Uh, we make a lot of furniture in Grand Rapids, just so you know. Um, <clears throat> even still, you have that kind of positive attitude toward it because you have invested in it. A similar phenomenon is present in relationships, that when you do a favor towards somebody else, even more than when someone does a favor for you, you feel positive toward that person. I think that Jesus understood this. Of course, Jesus understood this. And so he says, allow these outsiders to do you a solid as believers, because in doing so, their heart imperceptibly and slowly is going to be drawn toward you because you belong to Christ. And I think there's interesting applications for us as the church to think about that. We talk a lot about ways that we can bless our neighbors, and we should. But what about looking for opportunities where we can receive blessings from our neighbors? Not always just giving to others, but also receiving, forging partnerships with sympathetic fellow travelers, and in so doing, allowing their hearts to be warmed toward the community of faith and ultimately toward the Lord in whom we believe. I think that's something for us to think about more and reflect upon, look for opportunities to receive from our community and not just to give. Well, let's conclude by coming back to that opening question. What should be our attitude toward outsiders? Well, I think when we take a look at all of that Jesus teaches here and these three reasons, 
We can sum it up this way. Our attitude toward outsiders ought to be exclusively welcoming. Exclusively welcoming. And if that sounds paradoxical, it's because it is. On the one hand, it's exclusive. It's exclusive because Jesus and Jesus alone is the way and the truth and the life. We're not just some other social organization that's opening the doors to anyone and everyone and saying, hey, look, we're just kind of a, a country club and we like to get together. We have good donuts and coffee. And, you know, there's a guy up there. He gives us a talk. It's kind of like a TED talk. But, you know, you can come and we just sort of believe whatever. No, it's exclusive in the sense that Christ and Christ alone is the foundation of our fellowship, right? He is the one who binds us together. And apart from him, we can do nothing and we are nothing. That exclusivity has to be upheld. But also, and at the same time, there is that openness, that welcoming. And indeed, it is founded upon the welcome that you and I receive from Jesus. Paul says in Romans 15, welcome one another as God has welcomed you to the glory of Christ. And so while we uphold that exclusiveness of our faith, we also keep open arms we have upright hearts of trust in Jesus and welcoming arms to those who are outside the community of faith. Because ultimately, you and I recognize that God is the one who was not against us and so is with us. Because God is with us, whom can we regard as being against us? We can trust in the Lord who has the pull and the power of all things in his name and in his word so that we can rest in that and keep open arms to our neighbors. Amen. And may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand for prayer.